Revelation chapter 22 and verse 16. And as I read this chapter, and particularly the verse that we're going to look at tonight, I'm required, uh, I'm reminded and I'm required to look at the very first verse of this book. Now, please remember, this book was sent out, these letters, this is a common letter sent to seven churches of Asia. They were living, vibrant churches. Even some of them were, had uh, God spoke to them through this letter and had serious recommendations to them and commendations to others. They were really a local, visible body in a community, and it lists the communities and tells us something about that. But those churches were to have this letter read to them and spoken from this letter. It was not a letter that was to be hidden. It was not to be set aside. It was not to be uh, considered as, it's just too weighty for us to go through. And I think many times people have that idea about this book, it's just too weighty. I'll just not get anything out of it. A pastor mentioned to me not long ago, he said, I would rather my people, and he's using that, please, he doesn't own them and I don't own you, but you're, I consider you my people, my friends. My people read one verse of scripture a year with understanding, then a thousand chapters and had no idea what it meant. And that's really, as we look at this book of Revelation, it's better to have one verse of scripture with understanding or, or a dozen. And it's not not to be considered something that is to be hidden or it's too mysterious for us to read through, even though there are mysteries in here. But in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1, it helps us so much with what this book has to say to us. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the revealing of Jesus Christ. This is the enlightenment. God gives us the enlightenment as we go through here. And as we read it, God opens up his word to us. Now, it's only by revelation that we're able to understand one thing about this book. But as we go over here to chapter 22 and verse 16, we have a comment made by the Lord Jesus Christ, who is truly the author of this book. It's not John. I've seen books, uh, the revelation of St. John the Divine. He had no more to do with it than we do. He was a recipient of it, and he was used to write it down. But it wasn't his revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that means the unveiling, the opening up of, uh, taking off the lid of, allowing us to see the Lord Jesus in a, in a way that he's spoken of in other places. But here it is so intense because all of this book uh, has a capacity about the revelation of Jesus Christ. In verse 16, he says, I, Jesus... Now, this is the authority by which this book was written. This is the authority by which this book was sent, this letter. I, Jesus. And if we get nothing else out of this, it is for us to realize that everything that was said in here was under the auspices and by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he spoke to those seven churches of Asia, it was I, Jesus. When he gave us the, the different dreams, or not dreams, but the different manners in which uh, the, the vials and all, the woes and all of those things, we have in the background of those things, I, Jesus, this is what I want my people to have. 
This is what I want my people to read. This is what I want my people to understand. Now, this is a chart and compass. When the Lord gave these letters to these seven churches, remember they're under severe persecution, and this book was a comfort to them. He never wrote a book to them to discomfort them. Unless, as Paul brought out in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, unless you have believed in vain. Now, there's no comfort here for unbelievers, but there is great comfort. And we can say, believers can say with all honesty, this section I really don't understand, but I certainly do believe it. And going through the book of Revelation, we may say that more than we might in other places. But it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I want these things gone over in the churches. I want these things brought up in the churches. I want these things read in the churches. I want these things preached on in the churches. I want the church to be familiar with this book. It is. It has some... Uh, Parts that are hard to be understood, but it is continuously to be read in the churches as much as Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. I've had people come to me and say, I've never heard any messages from the book of Revelation until my pastor went through it. And I found out where the Marvin Stoniker has gone through the book of Revelation. Other pastors, they see the need. You just read this and say, okay, we need to spend time here. Now, this is the second time we've gone through it, and it might not be the last. I don't know. This is something that God intended for the churches to hear. I will take care of my people. I will overthrow all enemies. I will put down all rebellions against me. I will be totally successful in all that I do. And that reflects on every page in this book that how victorious he is and how glorious he is to his church. So he says there, I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Now, as we go back through this, I do want to say this. As of his deity, he is David's creator. David would admit that. He is my Lord. He is my creator. He is my physical creator. But when it came to my spiritual life, he is my spiritual creator. But it also says that he is, not only is he the root of David, he is the, uh, uh, the root and offspring. He's the root of David, but he's also his offspring. This is a miracle of God's grace that he would ever send a substitute that was clearly in relation to those he substituted for. He was totally able to substitute for them. He came born as a man. He came born of a woman as a man, and there was no sin in him at all. He did not have what we inherited. Now, as I was kind of reflecting on Sunday, the message there, there was something I wish I'd have brought out. Adam is the first male to bring forth a birth. And Christ is the second. He's, he's the first Adam. Christ is the second Adam. Christ brings forth. He is the, the God-man that brought forth the birth of his church. Adam was used instrumentally in bringing, out, bringing forth his wife. Now, most of the time, and there's a verse I've been hunting for and hunting for and hunting for. It brings out, a man shall bring forth a child. 
as if it was he was burying that child. And it's in one of those little odd books, Haggai or Zephaniah, and I've been racking my brain trying to remember one word so I could find it. It's there. I'll find it, and I'll, I'll correlate those two passages. But he is, in his humanity, he is David's descendant. David's son, 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 brought forth this one into the world. Now, when we were looking at Israel in the book of, uh, of Exodus and in the book of Joshua and Judges and First and Second Kings, there was a reason that God had to preserve he could not throw out the dough. <laughs> he had to preserve Israel. He had promised his son coming through Israel. So we're going to find Israel down to the time of Christ. After that, it is not necessary. And in fact, he regarded them not. All right. As a, uh, This is a statement. This eigesis is a statement with regard to whose authority this letter was written. I, Jesus, have sent this letter. I, I've sent my messenger. I've sent my angel. Now, most of the time when the word angel, and uh, we were up at the hospital just earlier, and I saw a bumper sticker, something about angels. Most of the time we think of fluttery little beings of some kind. Well, m- uh, there's a number of times in the Bible that the word angel is used. It could have been translated very easily just messenger. If we look in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, I send this to the angel of the church of Thessalonica. That angel is the pastor. He is the messenger of God to that community. And in fact, the bulk of the responsibility for the soundness of that church depended upon the faithfulness of that angel, that messenger. How much was he in tune with the gospel message is really going to be how faithful that church continues. Now, I, I, I cannot tell you how much I appreciated you allowing me to go visit with Brother Marvin Stoniker because we are close to the same age and we run in the same groove in the ground. You know, we love Farside, <laughs> but we love the gospel. And it, is, it was just so, so much of a blessing to see the value, the importance of a pastor. And we both have a person that brought us the gospel. Same person brought us both the gospel. And he was down in Louisiana. And he's invited to come over to hear the Pastor Mahan preach. He's a Southern Baptist Convention preacher. Didn't know the gospel. He thought he did. Heard Henry preach and tore up his little playhouse. Mm-hmm. And he no longer, once he was saved, he could no longer could pastor that church because... They were just going in different directions. Well, we can, I can, I can only say this. I can only be faithful in my generation. And you too. We cannot and we will never be able to secure the faithfulness of the next generation. We can only be faithful in this generation. So that pastor, now we don't find the church at Ephesus anymore. We don't find the church, those seven churches. They're long gone. Now what happened to them, I don't know. What persecution came in, I don't know. But they're no longer there. And we cannot find the faithfulness of Charles Spurgeon at the Metropolitan Tabernacle today. In one generation, it was gone. I don't know why. Why that happens, but it is. 
So the faithfulness of these pastors, he is encouraging them, and he says, I send this letter, I send this, my angel, to testify unto you these things. Now the angel he's speaking about here is John. John's going to send this letter, these letters out. His messenger, faithful messenger, is going to be sending these letters out to these seven churches. And from there on, John's responsibility is over. His responsibility is to be faithful in recording what the Lord gave to him. He's sending them out. He's on the Isle of Patmos. Uh, he has uh, been exiled there. He's not at a party until the Lord appears unto him. And then he would have never traded that for anything. To be there alone with God in this condition. Now, he probably felt a little bit imposed on when he was sent there. All I'm doing is preaching the gospel. And he ends up there. And lo and behold, he's in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And the Lord appears unto him and gives us this revelation that we enjoy today. So he's called on to sin. Now, uh, Revelation chapter 2. Would you turn back there as we think about this, this angel, this messenger. And there are a few places in the Bible where this word is actually translated messenger. So it's not trying to stretch it at all. Let's just get away from the fluttery little critters that sometimes we think of. Now, there's no doubt that there are beings higher than us. God created them. There's angels, there's messengers that he created. And one third of them fell with Lucifer and they are now bound in chains of darkness. There was no substitute for them. There would never be a uh, a, um, a savior or a, a redeemer. They would never be redeemed out of that. There was they fell in their plight, and they will never ever be released. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. So there are those beings. There's good angels and there's bad angels. There's two-thirds of them that stayed with God. Why did they stay with God? God purposed it. Why did a third fall? God purposed it. Why did Lucifer fall? God purposed it. Don't ask me why. I just know what happened. That's what happened in the scripture. And sometimes we find things in the Bible God does. He asks us to do for no other reason than he can ask us to do it. That's all. He is God. All right. Revelation chapter one, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Under the angel of the church at Ephesus. That's the pastor. The angel. He's not a guardian angel in the sense that we often think of. He is the guardian of the gospel. He's the guardian of what goes on there. And we find there were several of the guardians that were given a faithful message because they were continued to preach a faithful message. And there were some there that God said, unless this changes, the, uh, the responsibility imposed upon those seven pastors and faithful preachers throughout the ages to declare the gospel, because if the gospel can, is failed to be preached... What did he say he would do to the churches? He would pluck their candlestick. And he has. And he is faithful to do it. So the responsibility of those who bring the message, to continue bringing the message, that is very, very important. And once that message is gone, 
the light goes out. Now that is a sign of something. If the light goes out, it is a sign of something. It's a sign there's no more sheep there. There's no more. If there's sheep there, there'll be a light. If there's no more sheep there, there is no need for this light. We'll raise up a light somewhere else. That's what God does. That's why Ephesus died. The sheep were saved. And that's why another church was started somewhere else. The gospel was preached somewhere else. But the same responsibility is placed upon the angel of that church to hold forth the word of truth, to staunchly, to, to, to not buckle, not give, not give in, but continue. All right. And down through chapter 2 and chapter 3, seven times this phraseology is used with regard to the angel, the pastor of those churches. This letter was sent to the pastor of the church, and he was responsible for delivering this letter. And if he was not faithful in delivering this letter or delivering the message of Christ, the, the responsibility of God would come along and say, this is no longer mine all mine are saved. I'm moving on. So that's what happened. That's what happened. That's what continues to happen. We have churches, apparently the light goes out. Because why? There's, it's not that there's a whole bunch of sheep that are there that the message has died for them. And the, No. The sheep have been saved. And he's going to take his gospel somewhere else. Germany used to be a lighthouse. England was a lighthouse. And they got so, uh, uh, so interested in uh, philosophy. And as we go through the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul does a masterful job of delivering the message of the error of the philosophy of man's wisdom. And that's where Germany, they got philosophy. England, they got philosophy. And what do we have now in America? Philosophy of man's dreams, man's ideas. And no country has ever been a Christian nation. Now, countries may have been built on Christian principles, but no country has been a Christian nation. Now, there's been some Christians in that nation, and it may be given over to Christian principles, but there's never been a nation that's been a Christian nation. That, that's just far cry. There's been lost people in every generation. Some of them have just been used by God as hewers of wood and drawers of water to make it possible for other people to enjoy the freedom to hear the gospel preached. That's the reason that they ha were there. All right. Uh, the angel, seven times it's mentioned there. And also, would you look in the book of Luke chapter 2? Luke, ch or excuse me, Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 and verse 24 the same word is used here. And when the messengers of John were departed, remember John's in prison? And he sends some people over to inquire of the Lord. And these people are called messengers. Here it's translated that way. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, they're translated angels. In Revelation chapter 22 and verse 16, it's translated angel. Here it's translated messenger. I'm glad I didn't, I'm not a translator. 
there's some things I would have done just a wee bit different when it comes to those verses in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 and over in Revelation 22 and verse 16 when it used the word angel I would have just been put pastor or my my messenger John uh, that would have just cleared up a lot of things but we wouldn't have all of this uh, I, I'm sure God entrusts his angels to protect his people but he doesn't give just a guardian angel he gives angels and I'm I am a whole lot stronger in what the Holy Spirit does for us than what the angels do for us I'm a whole lot stronger in what the Lord does for us with his great sovereign power than what the angels do for us and I'm not convinced of exactly what angels do except they're messengers of God and you taking the gospel to anybody is an angel a messenger of the Lord all right and when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. The messengers of John, the, the angels, the messengers of John. And in that same uh, book, Luke chapter 9, verse 52, again, the same word is used that we found over there for angels. But here we find it brought to us in this fashion, Luke chapter 9, verse 52, the scripture shares this. And, and sit messengers before his face, and they went and entered into the villages of Samaritans to make ready for him. Jesus Christ sent messengers ahead of him that uh, prepare the way. He sent messengers. And those pastors in the seven churches of Asia were messengers of God to those churches. And there's one thing, and this verse in Revelation is going to bring this out a little clearer. There's one thing about these messengers. They were only recording what they were given and only sharing what they were given that's what a true messenger is I'll never forget a time I was in a situation and we had to write a letter and the secretary we determined what the letter was going to say and the secretary wrote a letter totally different than we'd agreed upon now, I'd have never found out, but the person the letter got to happened to be a friend of mine and sent me a copy of that letter. And I had it in my hand, and then we had another meeting. And I said, what is this? This is not what we agreed on to send. This is someone else's words. Now, that's a false recorder. That is a false representative. That is a false reporter. This is false when it's not according to what was given. And that's what Peter, James, John, Paul, Jude, and the rest of the writers of the New Testament as well as the Old, we find them faithful witnesses of what God intended to be shared. And John was one of them. Now, I'm not sure that he understood everything that he was writing about, but he was faithful at least to write it down. All right. Going back to the book of Revelation, chapter 22 and verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent. Now, he has the authority to send this, to send it. It is to be dispatched. He is a, a uh, reporter that has been dispatched with the message. He is one of those guys coming across the the plains on a horse going from St. Louis, Missouri to San Francisco, California. He did not tamper with the mail. 
It was entrusted to him. Pony Express. Pony Express. Entrusted to him to take the letter. Not to open it up and write, well, he really didn't mean what he said in this letter, dear. You know, <laughs> mess with the letter. No, he's entrusted to carry that letter. And that's what John was. He was entrusted to carry the letter that the Lord had given to him. And he was, as it tells us there, he was sent. I, Jesus, I, I Jesus, have sent him. I have uh, I've moved him this way. He, it is by my authority that he's sent. And this word, uh, um, there's a couple of places in Revelation this word is used that just lends itself to a, a real special meaning about this. And that's in Revelation 14, 14 verses 15 and verse 18. When we think about sent, several times I've been asked, how, 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 how are you called to the ministry? And I've just come up to this. It was imposed on me. It was imposed on me. Just like salvation was imposed on me. I was just going my merry way to a devil's hell. That's what I thought. You know, when I realized what I was. Now, I also believe in eternal justification and eternal salvation and eternal uh, sanctification and all that. But we're caught in the middle not knowing what it we just get to know, we find out what we really have been given. But anyway, just going along there, and God imposed His purpose, His will on me in salvation. And it's like, have you ever grabbed the end of a toothpaste tube and squeezed it with the cap off? You're going to get something out. And that's just the way I feel. God imposed His will on me left to myself I'd have never done this but it was imposed on me now John it's been imposed on him to do this I've sent him I've sent him now here in Revelation chapter uh, chapter 14 verse 15 this is interesting I just found this very interesting Revelation 14 verse 15 it says and another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the, th- on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle. Now that word, those two words, thrust in, is the same word as I sent. You see the force of this? Thrust in. Have you ever run a scythe or a hand scythe? or a? It's hard work, number one. And you put a lot of effort into it. It takes a lot of work. And he says, thrust in. That's what God did with John. He thrust him into it. He imposed upon him. I sent you. And I got my, I got my handprints on your back. That's what he did with John. I send this message back. And when we find the Apostle Paul, well, I think probably if we went back a little further, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah was really thrust into the preaching of the gospel. He was imposed upon by people, but he was more imposed on by God. Jeremiah, and then Paul in his ministry, all of the, the stuff he took to, to, uh, uh, as a minister, and he delineates that one time, beaten, left for dead, stoned, shipwrecked, and all this, God imposed, thrust him in. 
And that's what he did to John, his messenger, his angel. He thrust him in. And it tells us, going in there in verse uh, Revelation chapter 14, verse 18, it says, Another angel came out of the altar, which had power over the fire, and cried with a loud voice to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle. Thrust it. He sent it in. That's what he did with John. That's what he did with Peter. That's what he did with Paul. He thrust them in, right into the middle. And Paul had been saved very short time, and they're trying to kill him. Now, his time was a little different than we have now. His friends were different than we may have now. The Pharisees, they had not much tolerance with their friends. And when Paul was saved and began to preach out of the Old Testament, Jesus, who they, I think a bunch of those guys were involved in the crucifixion, when they began to preach Jesus Christ as the Savior that they had, they had crucified, they're ready to kill him. But he was thrust into that. He was thrust into the preaching of it. And he was imposed upon him. Now it says, I, Jesus, back there in Revelation chapter 22, I, Jesus... I, Jesus, have sent mine angel. I am the supreme being. I am God Almighty. I am Jesus, the crucified one. I am the Messiah. I am the Redeemer. I, Jesus, by my authority, I have thrust in my messenger, my angel, my servant John, to testify. Now, I want to break in the action here for just a moment. Pray for me next week, the 11th, at 3 in the afternoon, I am been called to testify in a legal case. Now, what's it called? Uh, depositions. Give some depositions. You still raise your hand. You still promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You can be, you can be tried for lying on the stand in a deposition. It's as serious as sitting in a courtroom. Now, this is a pre-stuff. I've been asked to do that. Well, here John had been thrust into this. He says, I want you to testify. That word testify means to witness. I want you to record it, to witness, to report it, to testify. I want this report only what is given. Please do not add to nor take from this message. When people try to make God successful, I, I cannot listen to the radio station on Sunday without hearing something about somebody having some parachurch organization outside of the body, outside of the local body that is trying to help the church be successful. And that's terrible. My dad got involved with a group it wasn't what they were doing was bad. It was just, well, we can't get it done through the church. Why in the world can't the church pass out Bibles? Why can't the local body pass out Bibles? Why do we have to depend on someone else to do that for us? A parachurch organization. And they, all kinds of people are trying to make the church successful, trying to make God successful. And the Lord himself said, I'm going to thrust in my messenger. I have him to testify, it says there, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. 
I want you to testify in the church, to report only what is given. No trying to help God out, being, uh, being a reporter only of God's acts, actions, and words. That's what John was to do. Report only what is given. Now, I am like, I think the Apostle Paul and John too saw things that they were not asked to report on. The Apostle Paul said he, he knew a man 15 years ago, whether in the Spirit or out of the Spirit. I think that's Paul himself when he was stoned. He was caught up to the third heaven. He saw things he could not speak about. That's reserved for those who are there. <laughs> but he could not report on that. But he didn't report on things he ha hadn't seen either. He was asked not to report on this. Daniel was also. Shut up the book. That's enough. Don't report it. But don't report less than the message. That's so apparent when the Apostle Paul was used to write there, I have shunned not to declare the whole counsel unto you, all of God's message. He could go out of this life innocent before God. I have done what you've asked me to do. I've run my race well, even though it cost him so much and really cost him his life in Rome. He delivered the message faithful. Now, Adeline sent me a report. I don't know what's happened as a result of it. Some guy over in Iraq or Iran that they were going to execute for, for not... Uh, he said he believed in the Lord Jesus. He was uh, of that nationality, and that uh, that didn't fit with the state plan, and uh, he was going to have to pay with his life. That happens. That happens. Has happened. Happened in the past many, many times. People say, I don't know whether I could do that. I don't know whether I could do that. I won't know about it until that time comes. That's when we'll know. All right? Witness to report. And then he says to report this to the churches. Seven churches. Now it's interesting about the word church. Two places in the book of Matthew I want to read. And every other passage of scripture that mentions the church will fit in one of these categories. The Lord Jesus used this word very, very seldom. The Lord, There's many times he could have, but he only used it in two passages of scripture. Every other passage of Scripture is going to conform to one or the other of these. All right, Book of Matthew, chapter 16. Book of Matthew, chapter 16. Glorious passage of Scripture. It tells us that every hard, evil, wicked, uh, demonic, devilish uh, scheme developed by man or beast, or Satan himself, will not destroy the church. I take great comfort in that. It's a wonderful passage of Scripture. And he is talking about all of his people out of all ages. Now there's one thing about the word church. It always means a called out assembly. That's what it means, called out assembly. But it means it in two senses. The called out assembly of all of God's people are assembled at the feet of Jesus presently in spirit. Some have gone on. The rest is, are in spirit waiting. 
And it also means a called out assembly in a local community. But they're always called out assembly. Now, Matthew 16, verse 18. I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock. Now, the rock is Christ. It's not Peter. He's point, I just see him pointing to himself. Upon this rock. I'm the rock. That rock was Christ. Read, we read that in, in 1 Corinthians there, uh, chapter 10 this last week. That rock was Christ. That's this rock. Upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell. That word means and building. Doesn't mean it was completely built in the past. Doesn't mean it's completely built now. But when the last sheep is saved, that is completely built. I am building my church. I'm calling out my assembly. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What comfort God gave to the church in that verse of Scripture. Everything that can be thrown at the church will not destroy it. Now, it might, it might tear it out in this area, but there's going to be some place that the gospel is going to be preached. God's going to be calling out his people, and they'll be in the assembly. They'll assemble at the feet of Jesus presently. Everybody that's saved, past, present, and future, will assemble at the feet of Jesus. There will be an assembly. Everybody. Presently, those that have gone on before, the first one that, that went on before was Abel, young man, Old Testament. He's there first. And all of those that have gone on before up to this present time are sitting at the feet of Jesus in spirit, waiting for the resurrection when their bodies are assembled with them and they'll do it in body. And we are there in spirit also. Now, that's what it says there. Now go over to Matthew chapter 18 and verse 17. Matthew chapter 18, verse 17. We could substitute the church at Ephesus, the churches of Galatia, the church at Corinth, the church at Thessalonica, the church, all the churches, the local assemblies of the saints. Now it is very difficult for me, and I think that you agree to a point, most of you at least, is very difficult for me to call a group of people that are assembled together locally and deny the deity of Christ, deny the sovereignty of God, deny the redeeming virtue of the blood of Christ, it's hard for me to call them a church. Maybe little c? <laughs> They're assembled together, yes. But those that are the churches of God, they hold the truth of the gospel. Yesterday, I went down to Portland to pick up Nancy, and, you know, it just helps me if I have something to do when I'm anticipating picking up my bride. So I dropped by and visited with Vita for a couple hours, enjoyed the visit. She seemed to, and she mentioned something. She's, there's a group there that's predominantly in that place there. She says, you know, I just begin to wonder if these people even know the Lord. Number one, they don't want to talk about him. Number two, when they do talk about him, they say, you have to be baptized too. And I just mentioned, if you have to add anything to salvation, it is not salvation. If you have to add baptism. So, anyway, there's a whole bunch of people that get together on Sundays and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights but if they don't hold the doctrines that are contained in the Scripture and trust Christ, 
I fail to find that they are a church in its purest sense. All right, let's look at this. Matthew 18, verse 17. The Lord Jesus is talking here. He says, and if they neglect to hear them. Now, here's a problem that has come up. You can go back and read this. There's a problem that's come up. And he says, if they neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Now, there's somebody in the body that is declaring error. There's someone in the body that just is contrary all the time. The church has the responsibility of following this pattern. Now, that's the local group. That's here in the Dalles. Uh, our fr friend down in Central Point, he called up Donnie Bell one time and he says, how many times have you had to do discipline down there in 35 years? He says, not once. Not once have we had to do discipline down here. He says, why is that? He says, most of the people discipline themselves. They come here, they listen, they don't like it, they leave. <laughs> They've disciplined themselves. It just happens so seldom. In the church I grew up in, that was the common thing. About once a month, <laughs> you know. I remember a young lady that went to a dance, and she was disciplined for it, and she had to confess that in front of the church. She never, ever came back. Now, it wasn't worth coming back to. That's one thing. <laughs> but, you know, the things that happen in the name of discipline. Well, here it is right here. The first verse that we read about the church is the body of Christ. It's all believers assembled at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is an assembly. Someone tells me it's not an assembly. It is an assembly. They assemble. We assemble at the feet of Jesus. We listen for every word. Every word. Let me hear. Oh, the old, old story. Let me hear the words of Jesus. We are assembled to hear. And then there is a manner in which in a locality, in a community, people that love God's word and love the Lord will assemble together. Now, there's some reasons for this. We are in a terrible world. And we need a respite. And we get together for a respite. We get together. Oh, man, I can have an hour and a half or two hours that I don't have to worry about anybody picking on me. <laughs> Just, it's a respite. Uh, I, have, I have some time to sing songs that if I did it over here in the, in the store, they'd probably haul me in. <laughs> I get to hear the word. I get to delight in it. I get to read the Bible. Uh, I, I'm not ashamed to open the Bible here, you know. It's just, it's just a good place. Uh, in the church, it's calling out, or called out assembly. Those who assemble, who delight in the gospel in a place, assembling together to worship the Lord, hear the gospel, and fellowship in the gospel, and in, in a locality. And that's what we do. Now, somebody back there in, in West Virginia says, how do you like West Virginia? I said, it's a beautiful place. But there would be no reason in this world for me to come to this town except for this assembly. Why would I go there? Now, I've been places just to sightsee. Don't get me wrong. I like enjoy sightseeing. But to go spend a, deal, a great deal of time to move someplace, my goodness. I wouldn't move there if there wasn't that assembly. 
And those people have found that out too for over 55 years. That's the reason they're there. That's the reason they're there. The reason I'm here is this. And I've told Gene Harmon several times the only reason in the world I would ever move to California would be Rescue Baptist Church. Now, I'm not intending at all to ever move there. <laughs> but that's the only place down there that I would even think about moving to. Not just because it's California, but because it's a barren land. All right. These churches, the called out churches, and then going back over there to that latter part of that verse, it says there, I am the root. It's chapter 22. I am the root and offspring of David. This is why I have this authority. I am David's creator. I am David's descendant. This is why I have this authority. This is why I can write this book. Now, it's interesting. And I'm not going to finish this verse. We're about out of time. But I do want to read just a little bit about this word root. I am the root. Would you turn with me to three verses and we'll close. Romans 15. Romans 15. Romans 15 and verse 12. And again, Isaiah saith, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. The root of Jesse, the creator of Jesse. All right? We have the descendancy of, of here. We have of the Lord Jesus. All right? Then I want, would you turn with me to the book of Revelation 5 5. Revelation 5, 5. What, a, what a, uh, a verse here in the book of Revelation. This just, this just really shares with us the reason for Revelation 1, 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The root of David is the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ prevailed here. He's the one that was testified of out of Jesse. This is the Lord Jesus. He is the root of David the offspring of David. Now there's another verse that really, when I read this, I says, oh, no wonder this passage of Scripture has such significance. It's Luke chapter 8. The, the parable of the sower. This really, I didn't have to clear up anything. It just made it clear, I would say that. I, I didn't have any doubt about that in this passage of Scripture. But when you find another verse of Scripture that helps you, it just clarifies it's better. You just realize... The point of this in uh, Luke chapter 8 is the parable of the sower. 
And the Lord Jesus Christ talks about the wheat being thrown out on the ground and some fell among thorns and some fell among stones and, and anyway, and then some fell on good ground. But notice in verse 13, they on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root. Same word. They don't have Christ. They appear, I mean, oh man, gushy forth. Boy, they wept a long time. But they have no root. Doesn't mean that they had a little root. Doesn't mean they had a dry root. It means they had no root. Have no root. Which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. Christ is the root of David, the offspring of David. He has been promised as being the root of Jesse. He is the one coming. And here in the middle of this passage of Scripture in the book of Luke, he says, here's a whole flock of people that go through the pretense, great religious things, but they have no root. When it says no root, I just I pondered that. It doesn't say they didn't have enough root. didn't say they had too little a root. It says they had no root. They're just sterile on the ground. They appeared to come out. Well, have you ever thrown uh, seeds into water? What happens if you just leave them there? <laughs> well, they'll get that root, but they'll just die. But these have no root. Now, Lord willing, we'll finish up verse 16 next time. I do want to spend a little time on that last thought, the bright and morning star. There's so much said in the Old Testament about this. I've ran out of time, though. So we'll, it's like it's good to go book, through books because we can unhook up and unhook just any place. So we'll stop there for tonight.